0: The life of Christ is oftentimes uh, held in high regard, even by people who don't follow him. The life of Jesus uh, is seen as a significant life, even though he lived to only probably his early 30s. The life of Jesus is seen as a significant life by those who follow him and those who don't. He is a person that it's difficult for uh, folks to not have an opinion formed about. And it's almost, almost, uh, it's just amazing that a person that lived 2,000 years ago for such a brief amount of time, who wandered around in ancient Israel, never traveled very far, never texted anyone, never had a Twitter account, Facebook profile, None of these things has had the profound impact on human history and mankind as he has. And today we're going to uh, begin a journey through what I'm calling the last week. The last week of Jesus. It's fascinating because when you read the Gospels, uh, you will find that each one of them devotes an inordinate amount of time to Christ's final seven days on earth. Uh, They want you to focus on that time. In fact, the book of Matthew, it begins in chapter 21 out of 28 chapters. Uh, A fourth of the book is given to seven days in Jesus' life. And it's almost like you've been cruising along uh, for three years of just kind of... One of the things that happens when you read the Bible is you you get these time warps going on. It's hard sometimes to figure out, okay, when did that happen? And how long of a time between this incident and that incident? And there's these three years of Jesus' life that are that are talked about uh, as soon as His baptism and His temptation is over. And then He races to uh, this final week and all of the Gospels are recounting miracle stories and healing stories and all of these stories, teachings and all this. And they're just kind of on this breakneck pace and then, You get to the final week and the brakes slam on and the details emerge and they want you to live this week. They like to tell their story quickly and they don't give a lot of details and then all of a sudden they stop and it's it's like it's it's a it's a technique, isn't it? It's a technique by an author to draw attention to what's important. To get you to slow down, to enter in, to experience, because this is a significant week. Now, it's fascinating because this one week, um, if you grew up in church world, you've seen flannel graphs about it. You've you've heard lots of uh, blue-haired Sunday school ladies talk about it. Uh, You've heard these stories over and over and over again, and we often give them no attention. If you were like me and you grew up in a church where the kids got paraded out on Palm Sunday, which I hated, and we don't do it here because I love kids, (laughs) but at my church they hated us and they made us walk out and we had no idea why and we're just waving palm branches what is this this about why are we in adult service i want to go see the puppet show why are we here (laughs) are there treats after this my arm's tired every palm sunday i just didn't get it i didn't understand and you might be thinking Palm Sunday's next Sunday. Why is he talking about Palm Sunday? Because we're going to talk about Palm Sunday today. Because I got confused. Because I've had a loss in my life, so you just have to deal with it. (laughs) Actually, it's been my plan all along to preach Palm Sunday today and then Christ's death next Sunday. Because we're setting up for the end of the story. We're setting up for Easter Sunday, which is in two weeks. Two weeks from now, we will be at Kitzmiller Auditorium. If you show up here, you won't have much fun, but you can come join us at Kitzmiller and bring a friend, especially those who don't know Christ. Today, though, we need to set the stage for what occurs in this last week of Jesus, and it's such a significant passage, I just want to read it to you. I think the words will be on the screen, who knows. It begins, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17 today. And if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to grab it and uh, follow along. If not, the words will be up on the screen behind me. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus, have you never read, which is kind of an insult, (laughs) from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday growing up, they made me parade in on that Sunday with a palm branch. And I didn't get it. I didn't know why. I didn't know what the fuss was. I didn't know what the big deal was. It turned out it was really a sacred cow at that church. That's just what we had always done every Palm Sunday. And I was the unfortunate experience it that week what's going on here what's going on in this passage of scripture you know one of the things we need to do before we get into meaning is noticing you see we often jump and go what's what does it mean to me and we forget to read and notice We need to slow down and we need to notice things. One of the things we need to notice is the context that this is in. Because if you were to read this as Matthew intended, you would have just read a story in Matthew 20 that sets this all up. And I conveniently left that out. In Matthew 20, Jesus is being followed by a large crowd who are making their way out of Jericho to Bethphage. And this large crowd is following Jesus. Why? Because he does amazing things. This is at the end of three years of ministry. He's fed 5,000 men and then 10,000 men, and then he has healed lepers and blind people. And in Bethphage and Bethany, he spent a considerable amount of time because he knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and it was in those towns that he raised Lazarus from the dead. Question, would you go check out that person if word were to spread? When I was in my 20s, I could play basketball all night long and wake up the next day and do it all over. In my 30s, I could play basketball all night long and wake up sore. In my 40s, I wake up sore, and I did nothing the day before. <laughs> and if there is a guy who could make my elbow not hurt, my knee not click, my eyesight, which I'm starting to notice I'm going to need glasses... If there was a guy who could, and those are just minor aches and pains. If there was somebody who could touch me because I've got a tumor, or heal me because I can't hear, or open my eyes because I can't see, or if there was somebody, I wouldn't wish my grandmother to come back from the dead because she's really happy and she'd hurt me. But there are those who have died long before they should have in tragic ways. And if there was somebody who I could find that would come to the grave of my loved one, my friends, wouldn't you seek that person out? And by the way, this is 2,000 years ago. There's no MRIs. You get a broken arm, it probably isn't going to get set well. Your life expectancy, most of you are long past it now. This would grab attention, and it does. There's this crowd, and they're following Jesus out of Jericho. And not only that, there's two blind men on this road, and they cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Wait a minute, I thought his dad was Joseph. Now, if you grew up in church world, you know what this is referring to. This is a reference to the Davidic line of the royal kingdom of Israel. This is a reference to who Jesus is in the minds of these blind beggars. They believe that this is Jesus the king, the king of Israel. They haven't even seen it with their own eyes, and yet they believe that Jesus is the King of Israel. Now, every time somebody has said, "You're the Messiah," "You are the Son of God," "You are the King," Jesus has quickly done this to them. Shh! Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Some of us go, "Ooh, that's easy," because that's that's how I witness to people. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but this time. He says, what do you want? What do you want? He doesn't say, shh, don't tell anybody. Hey, come here, meet me in the back alley and I'll fix you. This time when there's this giant crowd around and he's on his way to Jerusalem, he says, that's me. What do you want? What's happening here? What's the context here? You see, earlier when Jesus shushes people, when he says, don't tell anybody, he follows it up often by saying, my time hasn't come yet. His time has come. What is he talking about? What's the time that he's worried about? He had stuff to do and it wasn't time to die. Because at this moment, the conflict is reaching ahead. And Jesus is in utter control of the situation. Jesus is orchestrating the situation. These men cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. What do you want? Yeah, that's me. I'm the king. And do you know what every person in that crowd would have heard? He's the king. That means Roman rule in Israel is about to end. That means the revolution is on. We're about to have our very own Boston Tea Party, people. That's how they would have heard this. That's how they would have understood this. It's time to get rowdy. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's the seat of power in Israel. And Jesus is making his way there. And this large crowd believes he's i never got that when i was waving my palm branch on sunday mornings i mean look what this crowd says as they begin their journey in hosanna hosanna in the highest hosanna to the son of david Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They believe that this is the rightful king of Israel. He has come to the seat of power to take the throne. And they're excited. He does some strange things, though. You see, when I was thrust into this story at my church and handed a palm branch and told, wave it, be cute, smile, Mom's taking pictures. We were trying to reenact this. And I thought that, you know, Jesus was kind of like me. He's just thrown in and caught up with the crowd who's got palm branches. And, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's do this. You know, I got nothing better to do today. But if you read, he's in charge. Jesus is large and in charge in this passage. He is orchestrating the whole thing. He says, hey, guys, two of you, come here. Go into town. You're going to find a colt, a donkey, with its mom. Bring me the donkey. Uh, okay. What if they say, hey, <laughs> don't take that donkey. <laughs> Just tell them, I'm going to ride it into town. Okay. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> we'll, we'll do as you say. They go into town. They find it the way that Jesus described. Now, it's in debates with scholars who have lots of time on their hands as to what's going on here. I believe that Jesus spent a whole lot of time in Bethany and Bethphage, and he knew who had donkeys. Could have been supernatural, too, but it makes sense that he walked around and, hey, there's Joe's donkey shop. There's a donkey for (laughs) him. Very possible. He has them come and they bring out the donkey and they put their coats on it and Jesus gets on the donkey. He's in charge of the situation. The people begin to toss down their coats on the ground and palm branches on the ground. And this crowd from outside Jerusalem begins to shout, make way for the king. And he doesn't quiet them. He doesn't, shh, son of David, it's not my time. He's, no, it is time. It is time. Matthew makes it really clear that this is a a crowd of outsiders. These are folks that live on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They're the ones that are making the noise. There's probably folks from Jericho. There's probably folks from the Galilee. All these people have been following Jesus, and they are on their way into town. And the folks in Jerusalem go, what's the ruckus out here? They say, it's the king. He's come. And what does the king do? First order of business when he gets to town. He goes to the temple. And this makes complete and utter and total sense in its context. Because the king of Israel would have been the head honcho of the church of Israel. The head honcho of the religious life of Israel. And this We know because we walked through Chronicles last year, right? Last summer. Good kings are devoted to God. Good kings care about the temple. Good kings care about the proper worship of God. And this is where Jesus, the king, When he's comfortable with the crowd saying, this is who he is, this is where he goes. He goes to the temple and he starts to rearrange the furniture like he owns the place. Because he does. Look at what he says. My father's house. A lot of people think that churches are now God's house. This is not true. God doesn't live here you're god's house that's what the scriptures tell us Uh, better y'all are god's house all of us together are god's house that's what the bible teaches this place is not god's house this is where you and i who is god's house it's really bad grammar but it works we're god's house when we're here this is god's house when we ain't here, this isn't God's house anymore. God's house is your house, and God's house is wherever you are. It could be a car, it could be a bicycle, it could be a walk. You are God's house. In ancient Israel, it didn't work that way. The house was the temple. To be close to God was to go to the temple. And to be in God's presence, you had to go to the temple. And Jesus goes to the temple. He cleans house. He begins with religious reformation in Israel. And he's very intentional. And he makes people mad intentionally. Right? You ever done that? You ever intentionally made somebody mad? I try to at least every other day because it makes life so much more fun. (laughs) Especially with your children. You can so (laughs) mess with your own kids. I'm pretty sure... It's a parenting technique I received from my own parents. But we intentionally make people mad sometimes. Sometimes just to get their goat, because, like, when I was a kid and we were on a 10 hour car ride in the car and my brother was next to me, because there's nothing better to do. Right? You've been there. Unless you're an only child, then you've got problems. I understand. (laughs) Sometimes we intentionally make people mad because things need to be spoken and said. And we know they don't want to hear it. Some of you with spouses, with kids, with aunts, uncles, grandparents, you've had to say some things into their life that they didn't like to hear. Some of you have been the person who've had things said into your life that you didn't want to hear. And Jesus is saying things into the life of Israel that the leaders do not want to hear. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. Let's rearrange the furniture. Let's kick you all out. Where do they go? Where do they go? Notice what they say. Who's going to shut up the kids? Do you hear what they're saying about you? They're not saying this in the way you and I would understand it, but they are saying... Are you going to stand for these people to blaspheme? Are you going to stand for these people to shout lies about you, Jesus? Because in their minds, he can't possibly be the king. He's not the Messiah. This is the wrong guy, and he needs to shut the crowds up. And what does he do? Oh, you're right. Yeah, sorry. I just got carried away. Somebody just hand me a palm branch and I start wandering around. Stuck me on a donkey, had no idea. He says, "No. <laughs> haven't you read? This would be like going to an official in the US and saying, "Haven't you read the Constitution?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> haven't you educated yourself on a couple things? This is a this is a This is a smack in the face. Uh, haven't you read don't you know what's going on here from the lips of children and infants from the lips of children and infants he says you have received praise don't get me wrong they get the meaning and they understand they've been insulted they understand that in front of a crowd they've just been dressed down by the end of the week jesus will be dead It's like he's orchestrating it. More than that, it's not like he is. He is. He knows what he's doing. He's in charge. His plan is to be dead by the end of the week. That's not the plan of the crowd, though. But they should have seen it coming. (laughs) Even in Matthew 20, he predicts his death. Before he heals the blind guys, he's been telling them for a while now. Anybody raise kids like that? You've been telling them for a while now. And then when it happens, man, I never knew. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Some of you married to that person? Some of you been raised by those folks? Right? <laughs> we're, just, we're equal opportunity offender here as much as possible. You see, in. Matthew 20, Jesus has kicked off and inaugurated an incident that's going to end poorly for him. And it's going to end poorly for him on purpose because that's his plan. And at the beginning of this chapter, he's already begun to say, You're going to crown me or you're going to kill me. You're going to crown me or you're going to kill me. Did you see the mode of transportation he wanted into? Jerusalem on? Kings ride war horses. Festus rides a donkey. Right? What? I'm sure the the disciples are like, we need to hire a PR firm for Jesus when we get into Jerusalem. This is not starting well. I mean, the crowd's excited, but come on, a donkey? (laughs) What is this? Rerun of Gunsmoke here? Where's the white war horse? This is not how a a conquering or rebellious revolutionary begins the fight. And this is something you need to notice before you start asking, what does it mean? He comes in peace. He comes in peace gentle he comes in like a lamb to slaughter and he's doing it all on purpose he it was his idea it's not like they're like uh jesus we don't want you to walk the whole way hey look there's a donkey well okay i was hoping for a tank but okay He's orchestrating all of this and he's saying to Jerusalem, to the leaders, crown me or kill me. After all this noticing, noticing these things in the text, do you know what this text means to you and to me? It's the same question. Crown me or kill me. You see, this is, the consistent, this is the consistent witness of the scriptures of Jesus. In Revelations, there's this scary incident with Jesus. It's in red letters. You know he said it because <laughs> it's the red letters. In case you did not know that, it helped me out. And he's talking to a church called Laodicea. And he says to that church, you're neither hot nor cold you are tepid. You are lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out in my mouth. You know, next Sunday, we're going to serve lukewarm coffee to y'all. Aren't you excited? Come early. We'll have the lukewarm coffee ready. You know, next Sunday, we're just going to have room temperature water for y'all. So be sure to get here on time. We're going to have... Room temperature Coca-Cola. You know, room temperature. I mean, what's good at room temperature? What food, what drink is good? Tepid. Even the word tepid sounds really bad. <laughs> things are good hot. Things are good cold. It. It's not good tepid. You cannot be... A person who likes Jesus. You can't just, oh, I like him. He's a good bloke. Nice guy. You can't be somebody who occasionally says, I'm kind of stuck here. Maybe I should talk to Jesus about this. Call out for some help. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, no, it's been, I can't remember now, but... You're thinking you could help me out here. How about a lifeline? He is angling this whole thing intentionally to tell you and I who he is. He's king. Quick question Know of any kings in the world today? Or queens? I saw a video of Obama hanging out with uh, Prince Charles. I wish I could do a faci- 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 see. I can't even talk. Wish I could do a sophisticated British accent, but I can just do this stuff and uh, <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe and stuff like that. I can do Arnold Schwarzenegger on better days, but British, I can't get her done. And there was a snippet that I saw where Obama was interacting with Prince Charles and he says, you know, the American people are really fascinated with the royals. And he says, I think they like you all better than their own politicians. (laughs) And... Prince Charles, I don't know if you know this, he's in line to be a king. And my guess is, you and I couldn't just show up at his house and go, hey, I uh, sure could use a hand with a debt issue I'm in. Hey, my marriage is falling apart, I sure could use some some help. I'm sure that not many people in the British Commonwealth show up at Buckingham Palace to to bug the royals with their problems. You know who bugs the royals with their problems? Their friends. People they know. People who, people who have recognized them as king. And Jesus is setting this thing up intentionally. He is saying, you either take me as king or nothing. I'm not going to be your helper that just shows up. Because I can't save people unless they see me as king. You get that? It's not an easy believism. And if you're offended by this and you think, oh, my goodness, I have to make Jesus the center of my life. I need to be concerned with what Jesus thinks. Every decision I make, I need to be worried about what Jesus says about my finances, about my sexuality, about my marriage, about my children, about uh, my job, about my calling, about my career. If that offends you and irritates you because you just want to like Jesus, don't be mad at me. Because I'm not the one saying crown me or kill me. He's pushing you to be one or the other with him. To crown or kill. You can't be neutral. You can't be on the fence. You can't be lukewarm. You can't just go, he's such a nice boy. You've got to crown or you've got to have Nothing to do with him. What say you? Next week, we'll see what they said. If you've been coming to church for any amount of time, you know this doesn't go well for Jesus. In the short run. But in the long run, on this side of it, you and I know it's a good thing. One last thing. One of the amazing things is if you will, if, if you will follow Christ, if you will place him in the place of king. In your life, I've got a couple guarantees. One is you will regularly be confused. You will regularly be perplexed. You will regularly be, I don't know, but maybe I'm, I think this is what he's asking of me to do. One of the things that you will find is your life will start to live counter to everybody else's. One of the things that you will find is that there will grow up in you this generosity You used to not be a generous person, but now Jesus keeps going, hey, you're supposed to give something to that person. I don't have anything to give to that person. Then you need to get it straightened up so you can give something to that person because I'm the king telling you to give to that person. And it's all mine to begin with, buddy, right? And all of a sudden, instead of being an American who lives on 98% of their income or 100% of their income, or like the average American, 110% of their income. You will start to be a person who is trying to follow the king, and the king says, how about we live on like, oh, I don't know, 90% of the income. And I will let you keep that 90. And I'm just asking you to be generous with that 10. Well, who are you to tell me? I mean, I'm not terribly interested in that. I really like living on the 110% Jesus. And besides, have you seen my neighbors? Yeah, I've seen your neighbors. I know your neighbors better than you know your neighbors. Um, It's not that great. Am I king or am I nothing? Remember last week when you were crying out because the bills all showed up on the same day and you were like, I need help, Jesus. I'm offering it to you now, says King Jesus. There will be other things in your behavior, in your lifestyle that start to change. He will start to bother you. He will start to irritate you. There will be things that you start to feel prodded in, behaviors that you've indulged in, ideas and thoughts you've entertained. Things that if you turn on the TV, everybody's doing. And you will start to feel conviction. You will start to feel, I'm not living my life the way the king wants me to live. And this will lead to hard choices. But Jesus said, a servant is never above his master. And this ended poorly for Jesus. It was costly. It brought suffering. Who are we to think that following a suffering Savior, we would not suffer? Who are we to think that our following of Christ would not come with a price? In fact, we don't read the Scriptures well enough because He said Expect it. It's coming. They persecuted me. They will persecute you. You see, Jesus comes as Festus. The king on a donkey. And he comes as a servant. To give his life for us. He comes demanding you answer the question. Will you crown me? Or will you kill me? There's no middle road on this one. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that each of us would be confronted with Christ today. Wherever we find ourselves. Whatever we feel we've got figured out about life. Whatever challenges. We're facing. I pray that you would. Challenge us. Above all things with this question. What are we going to do about Jesus? And I pray that this question would haunt us and just utterly tear us up until we answer it. Help us, Lord, not to play games with you. Why on earth would you make it so we could? You who created us and know all things. There is no hiding from you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us know our own hearts as well as you do. And that we would know without a doubt the state of our heart, and whether we are following you truly as king. Holy Spirit, help us. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face upon you and give you peace. May each of us crown Christ as King. If we choose not to, may the Lord have mercy on us. Amen.